0: You are listening to the Gateway Franklin Church podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. So this morning, um, just so I can confuse everybody that will walk in late, I'm preaching now. Um, I'm preaching now, and our worship today... At least worship in the manner in which we most recognize it in Western culture, in terms of singing, will be our response to the message today. All right. So the so the psalm today is Psalm 100, uh, the kind of a quintessential worship psalm. So I thought it would be a good idea to teach on it um, before we actually responded to it. Makes sense. Um, When Annie was born, my parents still lived in New Jersey, um, and they only got to see Annie a couple times a year. Once we tried to get there for Christmas, or uh, my dad just never left the business. He really couldn't leave very often. Um, So they didn't get to see her a whole lot. But then my parents moved to Somerville, South Carolina, which is right outside of Charleston, when Annie was two. And so that meant there was, uh, we were living in Atlanta. Um, I just assume everybody knows that, and I know you don't know that. Um, we were living in Atlanta, so we got to see them more often. So when my mom would show up, or when, or when we would show up in Somerville, my mom would take Annie's hands, and they would dance around in circles, and my mom would, would coach her in singing, we're so happy to be together we're so happy to be together, and I remember seeing that happen time and time again, and my mom called that their happy dance. That was their happy dance. Um, Psalm 100, I think, is David's happy dance, right? He, he is, we're so happy to be together, we're so happy to be together. And he coaches us through, the, through this psalm in a manner that we could actually kind of have that kind of demeanor and that kind of perspective. That when we have an opportunity to worship, that it's our happy dance. Here is um, here's Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever and his faithfulness continues through all generations. Can you say amen to that? Amen to that. Lord is good. He is good and his love endures forever. So it's just like me then to take something that's so heart-rich and so um, uh, joyful and, and let me break it down analytically to you. The, the psalm has some structure to it and, and you know, I, I, the structure tells me where everything's coming from and, I, and because worship will be our response today, I wanna build the same kind of structure for you of what David walks through. All right, so there's three worship movements And those three worship movements is prompted by one divine understanding. And then after that divine understanding, it moves to three more worship movements and a final divine understanding. All right? So um, the divine understandings, the acknowledgments, the things that David knows and then engages God with are what prompts how he worships. Make sense? All right. So here's the first divine understanding. It comes in verse three. He says, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. He is, he is introducing us and inviting us into an intimate relationship with God and helping us recognize that we have a shared identity with God. All right. There's an intimacy that we can have with God. And we have a shared identity with God. So a couple weeks ago, I introduced you to the Hebrew word yadah, right? I made sure there was nobody that spoke Hebrew, so you, can, so you could question me on my pronunciation of the word. Uh, and it is an intimate uh, ability, a comprehensive understanding, right? So we can know people in a lot of different ways, right? You can know someone from a distance, You can know someone's resume. You can know someone's LinkedIn profile, right? You can know someone's reputation. You can know someone by some kind of mutual um, uh, 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 person. Um, But to know in this capacity, in this Hebrew word, is to have an intimate, comprehensive understanding and, and relationship with someone. And this is how David starts off this. Well, it doesn't how he starts off song. This is his understanding of what prompts how he starts off the song that you can know. Um, the word for, that they use for Lord here is, is the Hebrew, Hebrew word Yahweh. Yahweh is the most personal name that there is of God. It was so sacred and considered so sacred by all the scribes that they would literally, as they would be copying the Old Testament, when they came to the word Yahweh, they would stop. They would go wash their hands. They would come back. They would write the four letters with the the vowel points. And then they would go wash their hands again, and they would continue on with the scroll. That's they wouldn't even say the word. It ends up we get the word Jehovah because of the, the not wanting to say the word Yahweh because it was so it was so personal, it was so holy, it was it was such a powerful word. And here David is telling us this, this is how we can know God. When Moses at the burning bush asks, Who, who am I going to tell? Or, when I, when, when I go to the Israelites and tell them that someone spoke to me and that I'm supposed to lead them out of here, I'm going to need to tell them who you are. Can you tell me who you are so that I can tell them who you are? This is the word. This is the name God gives himself. Yahweh. Um, it is the ability to know God um, as a relational God as a present God, as an unchanging God, as a holy other God. Now, don't run past this one. Holy other God. We have a tendency to treat God or to make God in our own image, but better than us, right? We we think about God being the perfect like the perfect version of us or the perfect version of a man or a woman. He's the perfect version and that's not who God is. God is not the perfect version of us. He is wholly other than us. It's why he says, you can't know my ways. My ways are so far beyond your ways. He's not saying that they're so much better. They're just so different that there's no way to know what they are unless he reveals them to us. He is wholly other. We've never been in the presence of anyone like God. He keeps his covenant. He's a covenant keeping God. I'll say this later on, but it bears, bears kind of introduction now. A contract is something two equal parties enter into with specific requirements that both have to keep in order for the contract to be valid. Right, Each of us, probably in here, have had some kind of contract, even if it's just with your streaming provider. There's a contract. Once someone drops, you don't pay your bill. Once someone doesn't provide the service, contract's null and void. That is not a covenant. A covenant is self-determined. God himself provides the covenant. It's all based out of him. It's something that's expressed and given to us. He is a covenantal God. All of what's to be withheld or upheld in this covenant, he has established himself. Our response to the covenant isn't trying to somehow um, comply to the requirements of this covenant. It is in response to what we received in the covenant. I've said this many, many times Christianity isn't a behavior modification program, it isn't a way for us to be better people, it is a way in which we are transformed people. Because he has given us something we couldn't earn or deserve. So when we understand that, our response to him is what looks different than it was before. Does that make sense to you? So it's, I'm not trying to contort and conform myself to some foreign kingdom. I'm transformed into a person that is now living in this kingdom. And I continually want to know more and more what it's like to live in that kingdom and to be connected to him. And thus, God is a fully, he's full of mystery. I also have said this many, many times. I wouldn't want to worship a God I could understand. If I could wrap my brain around him, he's too small. I don't, I don't want to give my life over to something that's small. I want to give my life over to someone that is mysterious. Something that is completely different than me. And so this is, this is the kind of, kind of thing that we get invited into. It's, it's a weird paradox, this idea of knowing God. Look. We can know God. And I, don't, run, don't, don't read past the bullets. Just We can know God. I want you to stay there. We can know God. Pastor, I don't understand how you can tell me that we can know someone that's wholly different, wholly other mysterious. I, we can know God because he has invited us to know him. Okay? Now, we can know God. Second point, there will always be more God to know. Always. Right. So I've, I've, I've walked, I gave my life to the Lord when I was eight, my earliest memory of that eight, at eight years old. And other than just being stupid, like all of us are stupid over the course of time, I have followed the Lord and there is still more stuff that I learn and know and experience about God even this week. Right? So I can know God, but there's always going to be more to know about God. We will never know all there is to know about God. We'll never reach the end of the, all of the knowing. But what we know about God now is enough for where we are now. That was my mind-blown moment this week as I was walking through this. I'm like, okay, we can know God, but we don't really know you. Okay, we can know about you and we can continue. We, it's possible for us not to get bored in knowing God. Wow. But I'm never gonna know all there is about God. So it kind of left me in a, a part of, well, then I still feel a little lost. I still feel a little empty. If I, And then I really felt like this is what the Holy Spirit dropped in my heart. It was like, but what you know about me now is enough for where you are now. That's... We'll talk later, but that, that's amazing to me. And so the last point here is how is that possible? Because God makes himself known to us. He initiates that. He reaches out to us. He makes himself known to us. He opens himself to be intimate to us, to be known by us. And he, right, we say it all the time, it's on our mugs, right? We're known and loved by God. That he is the only one who knows every single thing about us. And he loves us. All right. That's where David begins. This is where his worship movement comes from. That divine understanding. Okay. And so now what the first three verses flow out of that understanding. So what's the first one? Shout for joy all the earth shout for joy. David begins with this bursting shout for joy. And here he is. There's nothing polite, moderate, or measured about shouting. Right? Even now it's hard for me to say shout. Right? Because <laughs> there's there's nothing measured about that word. A shout is an unreserved emotional response. A shout for joy isn't a shout for personal attention. It's an unrestrained verbal expression of an almost unexplainable emotion it's an unrestrained verbal expression of an almost unexplainable emotion there personally there is something buried deep inside me that restricts outward emotion i don't know what it is but it is buried deep in me and i have to fight it all the time um When I when I when I played baseball, I was the kid. You hit the home run, you make the right play, and you don't celebrate. I remember hitting my first home run in high school, and I just went in and sat on the bench. I wanted everybody to know, yeah, I do this all the time. This is this is nothing special for me, right? When I when I coached women's collegiate, has anybody caught any of the college world series going on, the baseball or the or the women's stuff, right? W- women's fast pitch softball is the most fun sport to watch on TV. I know we have some fast pitch players in here, some girls playing high school and stuff. It- it's so much fun. It's like ball game on the field, party in the dugout. I mean, it is, it is just nuts. The chants, the dances, the you know, it's just crazy. And so, when I coached at Lee University, I spent a whole first season trying to get those girls to stop doing that stop it. I told them all that, stop it. Would you act like you've been here before? Just stop it, stop it. And they didn't. So by my second and third year, I just enjoyed it with them because they were having a whole lot more fun than I was. (laughs) You know, the the bat flips and all that stuff. But there's something in me personally that holds that stuff in. Is there anybody else like me that, that this whole... Anybody go, you're like you don't even want to raise your hand, right? You don't even want to, you don't even want to. I mean, it's just, it's, it's stuck in there. I don't know why it gets stuck in there, but it gets stuck in there. And David begins by just blowing up out of water. He, David was used to worshiping in this manner. The, the, and I wouldn't just say that this was David's personality. I'll get to personality here in a minute. Um, when, when David brings back, there's a story in the Old Testament where David brings back the Ark of the Covenant that had been captured it had been captured, it had been returned to Israel, and it had been kept at someone's home. And it was time for it to come back to Jerusalem. And David orchestrates this massive worship event to get the ark back. And when it enters the city, man, he is a dancing machine. He is just all over the map and his expression of joy that the ark of the covenant, the physical representation Israel would have had of God was now back with them and he could not contain his joy and it just embarrassed his wife. Gentlemen, have you ever embarrassed your wife? I mean, like in a good way, right? He embarrassed his wife and his wife calls him on the carpet for it and he would have none of it. You have not witnessed undignified. I, I, I can do better than this. What I just did, you keep watching. I can do I can do better with this. It was David was used to giving room for a joyful expression, something unrestrained that he would let out because he had got to be in the presence of God. Psalm 100 is one of the considered psalms of like the quintessential worship psalm. And David is giving us a window in his heart. I'm not just a warrior. I'm not just a king. I'm a worshiper. And I can worship with the best of them. So shout, shout to the Lord. Early in Gateway's life. So Gateway has always attracted um, a group of people. I mean, from our first time in the school, we would attract people that um, had either not ever been in church before, um, or had been in church and it it didn't work for them, or or they had come out of a very liturgical uh, environment, uh, be it Lutheran, um, Catholic, Methodist, Presbyterian. They came out of that, and so so our our, our worship our worship was always a little subdued because I wanted to create a place where we, we, we helped people engage God in worship, not gave everyone scores on how they, how they worshiped. Make sense? And, um, but it was interesting in our early days, all of our worship leaders were spirit-filled, came out of spirit-filled churches with a congregation that didn't know much about the Holy Spirit. And so I would have to continually Coach, our worship leaders, when they would say, well, people aren't worshiping. I said, no, they're, what do you mean they're not worshiping? You see how many people are crying? The expression of what you recognize as worship isn't happening, so you are defining no one worshiping based on your definition of that expression. We're here to help people understand what it means to be in the presence of God and to allow some of that stuff to kind of stir up in them. But in one of those days, there was a family started coming. Levi, I saw Levi. Levi, look at me. And your mama and your family walked in. And they walked into more Elementary School. And his mom let out a shout in one service. And I mean, like, the whole thing almost stopped. Right? It was like, it was like the train was coming off the tracks. And um, then second Sunday, they came back, same thing. Third Sunday, same thing. Now, everybody's getting uncomfortable now. All right? Because Sylvia's shouting in service. Like... I can't even I can't even duplicate what the shout was, and then then Sylvia sent me an email. I said, Pastor, we just we just moved here. Um, I know some, I know that sometimes my worship can be disturbing to some people, and if you would like me to tap that down, I will honor that request. Um, but I'm going through chemotherapy, and. God, is basically God is keeping me alive in worship. And I had a decision to make, right? Am I going to be more concerned about people looking like, who is this family over here? Or am I going to say, if this woman can worship like that, walking through chemotherapy, we all need a lesson in what it means to express joy in worship. And that's what I did. I'm not sure how many years ago now it's been as we lost Sylvia. But she's always made an indelible imprint on me and an indelible imprint on our congregation at that stage of our life. We were just a little over six years old, um, getting ready to finish building this building over here. And uh, just, it was a cement in my heart that we would always be a place for people to explore what it means to be exuberant in worship and what it means to actually let some of that stuff that's buried deep inside of our own personalities permission to come out. And that's what Sylvia did. That's what Sylvia did for us. And I feel like I kind of need to circle back after all those years and to say, listen, Shouting for joy may be way out of your comfort zone. But know this, that worship should transcend your personality and worship shouldn't curtail your personality. I have a reserved personality. Generally, I'm a reserved person. But to me, I've had to work past that in worship, that I can't contain this intimate knowledge and identity with God and contain an expression because it's not my personality. Because I will tell you, even though it's not my personality, I am fun to be at a ball game with. <laughs> I, I enjoy me some ball. And I will, exp- whether it's just me and Gina in the house watching Georgia football, I'm, I am going to express something. I've showed up at ball games for some of your kids and I wanna bring signs and I embarrass them and I will not leave that game until I have some interaction with them. I go to the dugout, I go to the team meeting, I will make sure they know I'm there. So why do then I come back into a worship setting and then I default to this, this personality that I, ha- that I truly do have? I do, I, re- I have to force myself to allow myself to do something that I really want to do, but my, my personality kind of holds me back. Does that make sense? I'm not saying that I'm trying to be someone I'm not. I'm saying that I'm trying to not make my personality dictate how I, how I worship. And so, so I've wanted this to be a place that someone could worship in their seat. And that someone not look at someone worshiping their seat saying they're not worshiping. Because in that moment of their life, they might need some solemn time there by themselves but for the Lord. So to stop this idea of someone saying, well, they're not worshiping. And the same thing that you can be the most reserved person solemn in your seat, but someone let out a shout and you wouldn't go, well, they're just trying to get attention to themselves, All right? Believe me, listen, this is my responsibility. As shepherd, my responsibility is to try to figure out who's distracting, and who's worshiping, okay? But I think it was Charles Wesley that said, we shouldn't be afraid of too much emotion in church. We should be afraid of too little emotion in church. So that's the shout. Then he talks about worship. Worship the Lord with gladness. Worship here can be um, also defined as service. It's both words uh, can be interchangeable here. So we sing and we serve, not out of duty or obligation, but out of gladness and lightness in our hearts that is present because of that intimacy and identity with Yahweh. David didn't serve God out of obligation. Um, He served him out of a lightness and a joy. Um, It was one day I was working for my dad and I was really mad at my dad. I can't remember why I was mad at my dad, but I knew I wanted him to know I was mad at him. And so I was kind of curt with the customers. So my dad owned a service station. I'm pumping gas. I'm waiting on clients, customers. And I knew half of them. It's a small town. But I'd stomp on out to their car. I, You know, ask them what they wanted. I'd put the gas in their car. I did everything technically correct. But man, I was was just not happy. And I wanted him to know I wasn't happy. And um, he came to me about 30 minutes in. He said, you need to go home. Well, then I said, I'm not sure I wanted my dad's attention. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) He said, you need to go home, he said, because what you're doing right now is bad for business. And I had a choice to make. I knew if I went home, this was not going to go well, (laughs) right? So, I mean, I did a 180. I did a 180. I talk a lot about spiritual influence, right? Spiritual influence, our core call mission as believers to, to be spiritually influential And we come in here on a Sunday morning and it is our best time to be spiritual and influential. Why is that? Because people come to church and they come wanting something. No one wanders into church arbitrarily. There is some desire, some want, whether it's community, comfort, grace, there's a desire. And when they come in to a group of people that are grumpy, not lighthearted, not glad, not serving with gladness, not worshiping with gladness. It's like bad for business, folks, right? And, and it's not business from, from Gateway's standpoint, right? It's the question I'll ask you at the end is, does your worship lead anybody anywhere? Good. Because when he starts off and he says, shout to the Lord all the earth, it blew the, the Israelites away because like, what do you mean all the earth? Because we're the ones that count. We're God's chosen people. What about all the, no, all the earth? No, it's, it's us. And he's demonstrating that worship draws everybody in. It's so weird preaching first because I feel like I've got like an hour and I want to go. I only got eight minutes. Um, When when we allow our circumstances and our moods to dictate how we worship and serve, it's a strong indication we've lost sight of the big picture of who we serve. What he's already done, what he's capable of doing. When we worship and serve with gladness, we draw attention to what God has done, what's capable of doing. Not worshiping and serving with gladness is bad for business. It's not a true reflection of who God is. Do you agree with me? Yes. All right. Um, every, every one of us have to be reminded of that. It's like the kid, there's a, there's a kid's song that says, um, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands, right? My favorite part is the I don't, not everyone knows this verse. If you're happy and you know it, tell your face. Do you know that part? Yeah. If you're happy and you know it, tell your face. I'm happy. You know, and <laughs> if you're happy... Sometimes, sometimes you need be happy and somebody needs to tell your face, right? Because you are, you are, you are not, you are not happy. Um, all right. So then, so worship movement number three is come, come before him, come before him with joyful songs. Um, David is, is repeating an invitation from the father. Yahweh is saying to us, come, come on, come on. I want you to come, come. And when you come, do so with joyful songs. Those are the three worship movements that come out of that divine understanding. Here's the second divine understanding. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So we have the Hebrew Yodah on the front end to know. Here we have the Hebrew Hesed, his Hesed. What a huge word. In the Old Testament, it is the covenant faithfulness of God, his hesed, something that he gives, he gives us. I was explaining this to a particular person who claimed um, to be an atheist and they were um, speaking to me about behavior and, you know, um, I believe I'm good enough. I believe I'm good enough. If there is a heaven, if there is a heaven, I believe I've been good enough. And my response was, was good enough compared to what? I mean, we all believe we're good enough, right? But good enough to what? We have a a tendency to compare our best day against someone else's worst day to measure whether we're good enough. And I said, well, who gets determined if it's good enough? He said, well, I guess God gets determined what's good enough. I said, so you live your life just, maybe it's just, you don't know, it's a coin flip of whether or not you've been good enough? I mean, that, that's, that's the Muslim faith. It's a, it's a coin flip whether or not all my good has outweighed my, my bad. I said, actually, heaven has nothing to do with me being good enough or bad enough. And he was shocked. So it has nothing to do with you being good enough? No, not a thing. It has everything to do with God being good enough. It's God's chesed. All of my reactions are a reflection of what I've received from him. And if, if my behavior doesn't change, if I'm not transformed in who I am, it is a clear indication that something isn't working between me and him. I'm not understanding who he is. I'm not going to live the way I lived the same way after him that I lived before him. There's there's a change that happens, and then yes, I still do stupid stuff like you do stupid stuff, but that stupid stuff isn't a turn my back, walk away from God. It's a moment where I'm human and I'm stupid and I'm selfish, um, and in those cases, and that guilt comes on. It is a condemnation in the sense that it is a conviction. Then I repent and I turn around and say, Oh God, what was I thinking? That's, that's repentance. Now shame is what the enemy does to keep us away from coming back to the Father in repentance, okay? Uh, conviction is him saying, slapping us on the hand, saying, what are you thinking? You are actually walking away from me here. This, is, this doesn't work out well. Come on, come on back. This is where this stuff works, All right? So his goodness and his love endures forever. His faithfulness, Throughout all generations. So, with that divine understanding, David ends with: Come on up, team, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, and give thanks to him and praise his name. They would have heard this, they would have heard this through the, the temple eyes, they would have heard it through the palace eyes, they would have heard, they would have heard the king of the nation say, Enter. And thanksgiving becomes a posture of our heart. It gets us in the door. Um, Anybody have a habit of prayer uh, or even coming in on a Sunday in worship and it's all about you? Anybody other than me? Anybody other? I'll let you off the hook there. Anybody other than me? And you can tell that because I like writing my prayers in my journal. I write prayers almost better than I speak prayers. When I speak prayers, they're all over the map. When I write my prayers, I'm kind of more dialed in It gives me also a chance to come back, right? And see what God has done. And I can tell where my head is based on the first line I write in my journal, my prayer. Is my head around who I get to come to in that moment? Or is my head around, I feel like I am under a boulder at the moment, right? Now you say, well, pastor, does God not want to talk to us like that? No, of course He does. But when we're following this David formula here in, in Psalm 100, he said, man, I want to I enter the gate. I want to I leave. The reason why we have worship music in the parking lot is because I wanted to try to set the stage when you got out of your car after you finished your last fight with your kid. That before you hit those doors, you began hearing worship so that there can be a retuning of what are we actually walking into. A thanksgiving to all he's done for us. Even though you might feel like he's not doing anything in the moment, if he's done nothing other than the cross, he has done more than enough. And so I get in the door with thanksgiving, but boy, I go deeper when I praise this kind of this expression where I allow some of this stuff to to stir me up a little bit that I actually will show maybe some emotion before the father look emotion right tears hands raised kneeled in the altar receiving communion walking around the back that there I can I can enter I can enter with the thank oh, thank you father I you know where I am today, but I'm, I'm thanking you for who you are. I'm thanking you for the opportunity. I get to come in with people who share the same identity. We are sheep of your pasture. We are yours. We have an identity. You call us your children. Thank you. Thank you. And we thank the Lord enough. It turns into praise as we go deeper into where he is and who he is. Enter his course with thanksgiving his gates with thanksgiving enter his courts with praise give thanks to him and praise his name throughout the history of the church there's been what's been dubbed worship wars it's hilarious there have been more church splits of a color of carpeting and worship style i think than, than anything any theological doctrine style We all have a style. We all enjoy certain types of music or certain ways. I get it, no problem. Our worship should always transcend a style. Our worship is about adoration. It's about proclamation. It's about an understanding of how our minds and our hearts grow. And who this God is—that who we know of Him right now is enough—but He invites us to know more. So, you know, we were in—I was in a setting this past week um, where the worship was way over the top for my personality. I mean, I mean, thousands of people in a room just couldn't hear one another think. Really, I mean, I I walked outside once going, I got to get my head straight, you know? And I was like, dude, you're preaching on worship in like five days. So I know, I know what my sweet spot is. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I know what that sweet spot is uh, for me. Um, You like, you might not, you might like a different kind of preaching. Um, You might like a different kind of style music. And I, I get all of that. But the bottom line is when we have opportunity together as a body to worship, it should be about adoration, proclamation, understanding. right? And if, if what we do kind of is not your flavor, I hope you would see it more around style and not substance. Of what we sing, how we sing it, how we serve, who we're serving, and that we would give each other more of a buffer than what we would normally give in a situation, right? That we're a body of Christ moving together. Let's make room. Let's make room for different expressions. And I'm not saying we don't. It just happens to be we're the summer in the Psalms and it's Psalm 100. And I feel like it's time to kind of give your permission again to let let some of that out. Um, Here's three questions and and we're gonna worship. Question number one does your worship express the joy of being in God's presence and being one of his children? Does your worship express the joy of being in God's presence and being one of his children? Two, is your joy circumstance dependent or is it God connected dependent? If it's circumstance dependent, your worship will reflect your mood. Happens to me all the time until I can put my mind to what's going on. If your worship is God connected, your worship will reflect who he is and that joyful, glad worship will lead others in the same direction. So when I talk about here, we lend faith and we borrow faith and we link faith, I will tell you in worship, that also happens. That also happens. Who knows who you're leading in worship? These are not the only worship leaders in a room on any given Sunday. We each are worship leaders. Dads, can I I tell you, husbands, that you are a worship leader? Moms, wives, can I tell you that you're a worship leader? There have been plenty of times that I've had to lead Gina in worship when everything else said, don't worship. And there's been more times than, than she's had to lead me in worship. So the last question is, where does your worship lead people? Where does your worship lead people? Does it come from a glad heart, a joyful heart, a thankful heart? It is something for us to always pay attention to because if we don't pay attention to it, we will allow everything else in our life dictate how we worship. Is that the truth? Is that the truth? We will allow everything else in our life dictate how we worship. And by doing that, we've made ourselves the center of worship, which means that ain't worship folks. We make God the center of our worship that He transcends everything. So my challenge in this morning as we sing is to allow God to transform your worship. Allow Him to transform your circumstance because you've made the decision that I'm worshiping worshiping today in light of that. Now there's communion on my left and my right. You might worship when taking communion today. You might need to come down on the altar to pray today. You might need to just walk around as we worship today. You might want to sit in your seat today in a heart of solemn worship, but whatever it does, whatever it is, let's worship unto the Lord this morning. Stand with me. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.